Well, uh, I hope you are excited about LeGrand. I know I am. Uh, just to kind of put it in perspective, most times when we come here that Sunday before uh, Christmas, uh, what we normally have is about 380 people packed in this room. We will expand to be able to accommodate about 600 uh, at LeGrand Center, uh, something that's really been in the making for about five years now. Uh, several deacons had mentioned, why don't we take this somewhere else so we can have more room? And this is our attempt at doing that. Uh, but not only that, uh, if you do RSVP and at some point you find you cannot attend, we need to know that also because that will enable us to involve more people who do want to come. And we think that number that we have, we may have to put people on a waiting list. So please let us know uh, about your intentions on whether you'll be here with us for that special evening. Well, many of you, as I look out there, how many of you are glad I'm not preaching on gluttony this morning? Anybody? <laughs> Actually, one of our uh, fellow members here asked me, he said, I dare you to say it, and I, I couldn't resist. Anyway, uh, we're not speaking on gluttony this morning, but we are starting our new Christmas series, and it's basically the idea of the blank stole Christmas. And today, we're looking at the whole idea, the hurt that stole Christmas. Now, we know in reality, nothing can take away what Christmas means. No one. Nothing can take away from it from its original intent. But if it relates to the reality in which we live in sometimes, we may not live in the reality of what Christmas really brings to our lives. And that is the fact that a Savior has been born. Not just one who saved us from condemnation, but one who saved us from ourselves. And the one who saved us from living in a world that there doesn't appear to be any fullness and satisfaction, he brings that even in the this world that doesn't offer that. And so this morning, I know that many of you may be sitting here and you're like, you know something? When it comes to Christmas, I kind of have a, a mixed view of what Christmas really is. The busyness, the, the, the getting with, with uh, uh, close uh, family members sometimes is more than I can handle. And I think that would really speak to many of us in this room. But what I want to do is I want to talk to you this morning about the reality that Jesus brings when he comes. I'm getting ready to read a verse to you here in um, Luke chapter 4. But it's also quoted in Isaiah chapter 61. And Isaiah 61 is, is basically talking about what the Messiah is going to bring when he comes. What he is going to accomplish when he comes to this earth. And we know that the Messiah did come some 2,000 years ago. But before we get to Luke chapter 4 verse 18, what we're getting ready to read, here's what you need to understand understand. We read the story of Jesus's birth, then we read about his baptism, and then we read about the temptations that he faced. Many of you know the Mount of Temptations, and the enemy comes and tempts him in, any way, in every way. But now he's beginning his public ministry. His public ministry, and this is one of the first things that he says about his public ministry here on the screen. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor he has sent me, to heal the brokenhearted, those who are hurt, those who are under their circumstances, those who, who are immobilized by the pain that they've suffered possibly in this world. So he says to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of the sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. 
I can't think of a better way to, to introduce Jesus than what he is going to be fully about. And he is coming here. His coming to us 2,000 years ago was not just to save us, but also to provide for us in the life that we live right here on earth. And one of those things is to heal the brokenhearted. So look at the introduction there on your outline. Jesus came that you could live in freedom. Freedom from the bondages of sin and hurt. And here's the whole thing. He desires for you to live in the reality that he has provided. You see, I'm convinced in a room like this that many of you are sitting here today and you're not living with all the benefits that Jesus has provided in his coming. There's some of you are sitting here today and you are in bondage. Maybe you're in bondage to sin. Maybe you're in bondage to the hurt that's come to your life. And, and ever since that hurt has come into your life, it's changed you. It's, it's, it's had its way with you. And you're living in that bondage. And so if that's you, I want to offer you some hope here this morning. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Now, again, many of us are going to get together with loved ones this coming Christmas. Maybe some of you, when you get together, are going to be around those who have hurt you deeply in the past. Maybe you're going to come, and, and, and instead of it being a joy and celebration for some of you, maybe it may be a time of dread, and let's get it over with. And I hope that's not you, but I guarantee you there's some of you, that's what you're faced with. That's what you're dealing with. And it's all because of the pain and possibly the hurt that's coming to your life. In a recent nationwide poll, the question was asked, is there someone in your life who has hurt you in a way that you find it very hard to forgive? F almost 40% of those responded yes. 40%. I look in a room here, and if the percentages hold up, basically that means almost 40% of you are sitting here with possibly some unresolved hurt in your life. And I'm here to tell you, based on personal experience, the unresolved hurt is a form of bondage that Christ came to help you be free of. You see, when the grace of God, which enables a person to forgive, is not used at a time of an offense, a offense or a hurt, that hurt many times is internalized as hurt, that offense is, and can prove to be destructive. And so therefore, when hurt and suffering comes into our lives, if it's not handled properly, love can turn to hatred and trust can turn to cynicism. And many people are living under or in that bondage. So look on your outline. Where can hurt originate? First of all, the obvious place is people. It can originate with people. Those closest to you can hurt you to mo the most. I want you to think about that. Those who are closest to you have the potential to hurt you the most. I guarantee you, if you put Tina, my wife, up here, she would probably say that I've hurt her, and I'm not proud of this, and many of you shouldn't be proud of this, but I guarantee you, if she came up here, she'd say, you know something? The, the hurt that I've hurt, had the most was been at the hands of my spouse. And some of you are like, you're a terrible person. I know that, okay? I'm dealing with it, all right? But the point is, those, the closer we are to one another, the higher the expectation we have of that person, the, the fact that we've given so much to that relationship, and so when that time of hurt comes, it's very painful, very painful. So the people who are closest to us have the potential to hurt us the most. 
How about this one? I just mentioned it really. Expectations. Expectations can bring hurt into our lives. And basically, it's the idea that the higher your expectations, the greater potential of hurt. And, and let me just say this. In some ways, there's nothing wrong with expectations. I think Christ has, or, or Jesus and God himself has expectations of us. And, and there's nothing wrong in and of those expectations. But sometimes, let's just admit, our expectations are pretty high. And sometimes our expectations comes from things like watching other people or seeing a movie and seeing how the love just kind of comes together in 30 minutes or two hours or whatever. You do know that that's not real, don't you? And the fact is, many of us are living with the expectations of what we see Hollywood produce or, or what social media can produce. And, and that's a fallacy. And the thing that we need to understand is we need to be careful with our expectations. Number, two, number three, where, do, where can hurt originate? Deprived feelings, not getting what you feel you deserve. For some of you, you're sitting here and it's like you feel like you deserve more respect than you, you get. For some of you, you, you go to the, to the, to the restaurant and you, you expect better service, right? And you feel you've been deprived. How many of you handle that well? Anybody? There's sometimes we just don't handle things well. Sometimes those deprived feelings come because we don't have what others have. We feel like we are just as deserving as the one that has more than we have. And I'm just going to tell you right away, you know what that creates in us? A spirit of being ungrateful for the way God has blessed us. And so many times we're making those comparisons and we're, we're sitting there and, and many times we come away hurt. And sometimes that hurt is directed towards God. Sometimes it's directed towards those who maybe could have an influence in, in doing better around us to provide more for us. How about this one? Undeserved injustice. Getting what you feel you do not deserve. Some of you are living in tough circumstances. I, I know some of your stories. I, I know that some of you are really battling some big things in your life. And you feel like, you know something, I didn't deserve this. I didn't deserve the report I heard about my health, or at least I don't feel like I did. I mean, what did I do? I mean, what? And you're sitting there, and you're hurt, and you don't know what to do with the hurt. And some of you, you just feel like you've been treated unfairly. Things didn't work out the way you thought it was going to turn out. The job, the career, there was that person that probably, that you, in your mind, in your heart, you think, kept you from rising to that place where you thought you could rise to undeserved injustice. But here's a biggie. Misunderstandings and misjudgments. It's really the inability to discern. And I think for many of us, sometimes our hurt is unwarranted. Sometimes I think when we, when we look out there, we're so, and, and how many of you agree we live in a very sensitive world right now? We do, don't we? I mean, it's amazing how sensitive everybody is. It's almost like everything's heightened. And we live in that world, and, and we're so quick to, to make judgments about how someone responded or how someone acted. And, and many times, it could be they just had a bad day. Maybe they dealt with something that day that you, if you dealt with it, you would probably be worse than they were at that moment. And you don't understand. You don't have the ability to discern what's at the core of that person, what's at the heart of that person, what's going on in the life of that person. That waiter who came to your table, maybe they didn't measure up to your expectations, and all of a sudden you're starting to judge their worth. 
Don't leave them a tip. Don't give them more than you give Jesus, 10%, right? I mean, I hear that. <laughs> I'll move on. But anyway, um, <laughs> you know something? I think that so many times we think we judge things correctly. Do you know most of the time I feel like I, I judge things incorrectly? I do. I feel like I do. And, and, and it's one of those things where, you know, some people, how many of you know people who have, who have a tough disposition? How many of you think you know someone right now that based on their disposition, they hate you? Raise your hand, anybody? Yeah. I tell you, I've done that with some of you. I have. I mean, you do. Your disposition is a little different than mine. And you, sometimes you sit there and it's like they're sizing you up or, you know, and then all of a sudden I get an encouraging email from you. And I'm like, where's this coming from? <laughs> and many times I've misjudged someone or I misunderstood someone. We've got to be careful about the hurt that we allow into our lives. And living in a hypersensitive culture that we live in right now, don't buy in to what's out there. Be careful with the hurt. Be careful how you size it up. So here's the really reality of what I want to talk about this morning. When it comes to our hurt, God has so much more for us. Jesus said he came to heal the brokenhearted. That means he has more for you than many of you are allowing you to have. He came to provide something and a reality that you're not living in right now because your hurt is holding you back. In Ephesians chapter 4, let me set this up for you. Paul's theme here is the idea, live like the new person you are in Jesus. And really what he's doing with this letter, he's basically saying, if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you came on his terms. That's what he's saying in Ephesians chapter 2. And then all of a sudden he goes in, he starts talking about your walk. What your walk should look like because you know Jesus is your Lord and Savior. And it should be different than the world. And it should, have been, it should be different than the world that you lived in before and, the, and the, the, the way you conducted yourself before. And so what does he say in verse 22? He says that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt. Now, again, we're not talking about old men here necessarily. We're talking about our old self. We're talking about where we used to function. And, and, and we've continued to, to function there uh, before we knew Jesus. Jesus came to provide us a new reality. He came to provide us a new way of living. But we still at times, this is still in opposition to what he provides. And he's saying you need to put that off according to the deceitful lust. And then he tells us how to do it. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. He's basically saying when you, when, when you came to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit of God came to live within you. There will be changes. It doesn't mean you're perfect, but there will be changes. And one thing that I noticed when I came to know Jesus and, and as I've grown in Jesus is the fact that I have a different perspective about how things work now in my life and the reality in which Jesus came for me by, by looking and being discipled in his word and for studying his word. I came to understand more of what he has for me, that I don't have to live in the bondage of hurt. I don't have to live there. And he's saying, be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you may put on the new man, the new. You know what that literally means here in verse 24? Not similar, 
but has never existed before. You see, before we came to know Jesus, he's saying we were the old man. But now we're the new man. We're the new person. He's saying there should be something. And what he's saying is, it's not something that's similar that's made a little bit better. No, the whole idea is that this over here was as death, and this is as life. You don't truly live. There's something here that's never existed before. It's not similar to that. It's completely different what he brings the reality of our lives to. He brings that. He says, which was created. How many of you know that in the Bible when it says God created, do you know what he's literally doing? <laughs> he's, taking some, he's building something or creating something out of nothing. That's literally what he's doing. The nothingness of my life, he's creating something there. That's amazing when you think about it. It's what he's all about, and that's what he's trying to tell us. And, and what did he do? Which was created according to God in, the, in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, put away lying. Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. And if you go back and catch the first part of this chapter, what you're finding is he's talking about how we as believers are operating in the church. And how we need, to be re, we need to be reminded that if we know, all know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we're members of the same body. And it doesn't just mean the people in this room, it's, it's the kingdom. Those all who have come to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. So where do we go from here? Where's Paul leading us to? Well, look on your outline. How can hurt damage you? Have you ever thought about that, that hurt could damage you? Well, the Bible's very clear that it can. First of all, from the emotions it can damage you. Look at Ephesians 4, verse 26. Many of you have heard this verse. Be angry and do not sin. Now, how many of you are looking at that thinking, you can be angry and not sin? Is that even possible? Can I ask you a question? Did Jesus ever get angry? Yes. I, I, it took me, I, how many of you have always known Jesus went into the temple one day and turned the tables? And the Bible talks about his anger towards what was going on there. It was the Sadducees, the, the temple rulers who were taking advantage of the people. And, and basically, they wanted to get money for, for the worship that was going on. And, and, and he goes in, he turns the tables up. It, 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 listen, it was almost 10 years ago before I realized that he actually did that on two occasions. Two occasions in the Bible. He just, he got disgusted with the way that the, the, the religious people were dealing with the people who were coming for, for, for things and bringing their sacrifices and the whole system he thought needed to be torn down. Boy, he got angry that day. Yet we know what? He didn't sin. So he says, be angry and sin not. And, and it, it, if it happens that you do get angry and maybe you do sin don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Don't let it fester inside of you. We've, talk, we've heard this many, many times, but how many of you was given the advice that your marriage should never go to bed angry? How many of you broke that rule within the first week? <laughs> we did. We, we pulled that off pretty well. How many of you just refused to go to sleep that night? Anybody? <laughs> But that's really what we're talking about here. Don't let it fester. And verse 27 tells you why. Nor give place to the devil. Don't give him a foothold, a solid place to carry out operations in which he can bring you into bondage. In this case, 
through your hurt. Verse 26, uh, when it speaks of wrath, it, wrath is anger that is intensified under pressure. And it can go one of two destructive ways. Look on your outline. Anger can explode. How many of you have ever been a victim of that? It can explode. And this is when anger is released suddenly and outwardly, and the results can be harmful to relationships. It's like throwing hand grenades into the relationship. How many of you have been the victim of that before? We, we probably all have been a victim of that at some point. He's talking about anger that explodes. But then here's another one, anger that implodes. When anger is released inwardly. And for many of you, that's how your anger is released. Inwardly. And in some ways, you're your own worst enemy when it comes to this. And what I've noticed about this is it can cause discouragement, depression, and it can go on and on and on, all the things, when you begin to bottle that up. And let me just tell you about this, this thing that I've seen. Here's what I've seen. This is, I want to give you a warning. I want, I want to help you with your marriage right here. Let me just say this. How many of you have noticed that when it comes to marriage, God seems to bring opposites together? And let's, let me tell you what I think is going on in many of our marriages. You have one when anger comes that explodes, and the other one in which it implodes. How many of you have a marriage very similar to what I just described right there? You better be careful with that. I believe God brings opposites together to help us to become complete, more complete people, to challenge one another. I think God, God has an intention there. I really do. I think my wife is totally opposite to me in every direct, in everything. And I think she's helped me in my walk. It wasn't easy. She beat me off. To, no, I'm just kidding. No, but it, but it, but it, was, very, it was very difficult when, when you began to bring it together and you got the exploder, the imploder. And here's what I've noticed. Let's suppose that marriage starts at age 22. And all of a sudden, the exploder just explodes and explodes and explodes. And, and, the, and the other one implodes, implodes, implodes. Let me tell you what happens 20 years later. All of a sudden, that imploding and that imploding becomes become a big explosion. And I have seen many marriages fail because of it. And you say, well, who's at fault? Both of you. Both of you. The imploder and the exploder. And the fact is, we just got to know how to deal with our hurt. We got to know how to deal with our pain. And he's, he's addressing this with us. And we got to be careful no matter how we deal with hurt and pain, whether we implode or explode. So how can hurt damage you? Well, from the emotions, we see the anger. From the mind, bitterness. Someone has rightly said that bitterness is the memory of hurt entrenched in the mind. How many of you know what I'm talking about? How many of you know when you, when you have something, and let's just say, they say your brain is, is kind of funny looking. They say it has trenches that can be from, memory, from actions that happen over and over again. And those things that highly impact us, it can be a little deeper. I'm giving you this in a descriptive way. And it's almost like pouring water on top of it. It's going to go the natural way. It's going to create its own natural way of resolving things and doing things. That's the way the brain is designed to do. And that's the reason the Bible says on many occasions, renew your mind. Get rid of the trenches. Get rid of the go-to feelings that you have and the explosions or whatever it may be. Now, let me tell you about the enemy in this whole idea of hurt. How many of you, if you watch football, you know what I'm talking about. How many of you know what instant replay is? You know what instant replay is? 
Okay, we're going to see it over again. We're going, we're going to really get to the details of what's really going on here. And we're going to see it as it slowly plays out. And we're going to observe it. And, and, a, and then how many of you know what play-by-play commentary is? Oh, yeah. Well, if, if he would have done this, and then he did this, and then look what he's doing there. Oh, yeah, look at the outcome here. The enemy's really good at both. How many of you noticed that? The instant replay and the play-by-play. You can tell I watched a lot of football this weekend, can't you? And, and there's that whole idea, and, and he's really good at it. Now, I want you to think about this. When you think everything is against you, there's a good sign that bitterness is there in your life. How many of you sometimes feel like everything's against you? You ever feel that way? Oh, man. You're out there driving. You ready? Here it comes. And you're driving slow in the left lane. And you believe they're doing that on purpose to get to you because somehow they're against you? There's a little bitterness hiding in there. Now, my wife's sitting there saying, see, I told you, there's something else here. <laughs> anyway, how, how, about, how about this? When raking leaves, how many of you raked some leaves recently? And you're out there with that blower, and you're making great progress, and all of a sudden the wind comes out of nowhere, and it blows everything back at you. And, and then you turn to get it that way, and all of a sudden the wind turns. How many of you think, the wind is against me? I've <laughs> been doing a lot of that this weekend also. And then thirdly, your favorite collegiate football team finds a way to lose. Shut up. In, <laughs> in a way that they should have never lost. In the last two minutes of a game, it's almost like, how does that happen? And they did it just to spite you. That's when there's a little bitterness hanging in there. When those little things just kind of set you off. I mean, my wife, man, I've gotten better at this. She'll tell you this. But it used to be my 20s and 30s. I used to scream at the TV, what are you doing? How many times are you going to run that play? It doesn't work. You ever been there? Some of you are like, man, I hadn't grown to that yet. Well, I don't do that. Now I say it. I say it. I inwardly say it now. So. <laughs> But it's all right there. See, these are signs that hurt has rooted. There's a, there's a bitterness in our spirit. Uh, and, and sometimes it's not even linked to what's being played out. I mean, why would I get that angry about a stupid football game? Those people care more about winning than I want them to win. They're the ones out there on the field, right? That person didn't just pull out just to give me a bad day. I don't know. Sometimes I think they do. But, you know, I just, but, but it is. And to me, that means there's a link. There's something that this, this, this anger, this bitterness is linked to. And many times it's not even about the subject that we're talking about or in the mode of or, or, or it's happening. So Ephesians 4.30 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And basically what this is saying, the Holy Spirit, when you came to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he's talking about putting off the old man, putting on the new man. What's the difference? The Holy Spirit's now in me. He's leading and directing. He, he's calling the shots. He, he's the one who should be the play-by-play -play commentary. He's the one that should be there helping you to understand better. He's the one there who's doing a work through you. 
And you know what we do sometimes? We cut him off. We cut him off. That's what it means to hinder. That's what it means to grieve the Holy Spirit. Like right now, there's some of you in this room, and you know there's some deep-seated hurt in there. And you know that there's something that's been there for a long time, and, and you have never dealt with it. And, and you hear a message like this, and this is so, this is, this is, this is a tough one. And you're sitting there, and the Holy Spirit wants to bring, listen, you know what the Holy Spirit wants to do? He wants to bring the reality that Christ desires to bring to your life to heal the brokenhearted. And you think it's better to stay where you are. For some of you, it's comfort in a sick way. Who will you listen to here? The enemy? The world? Your embittered mind? Or the Holy Spirit? Hebrews chapter 12, verses 14 and 15. I want you to look at that here on the screen. He, he basically says this. The writer of Hebrews says, pursue peace. Now, basically, when he says pursue peace, here, here's, what he, here's the connotation of what that means. It means all is well despite the circumstances. All is well. How many of you, ever, how many of you have ever been at what you would call perfect peace with the, something? It's like, ah. Oh. It, it's just perfect peace. He's saying, go for that. But then he says, pursue peace with all people and all holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Now, what does this mean? Does this mean we're we're not going to heaven? No, that's not what it's talking about. What this is talking about is you won't see God working and operating in your life. Let me ask you right now, and I don't mean to be cruel, but I just want to ask you. If I were to say, tell me something God has done for you recently, not done for you, but is doing through you. And if you can't bring up something in the last 30 days, there's something wrong here. Because he wants to do a work in you and through you. And if you can't say, that means you can't really see the reality of God working in your life. And he wants to. That's his goal. And so, and so he says, and then he says, what does he tell us next? looking carefully, carefully weighing possible outcomes. It's looking to see, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. And again, what is that, what is that talk? That language is this, not experiencing the reality of the grace of God in your life. And as a result of that, there's no joy and there's no peace. And then he says this, and here could be the reason. He's basically saying, and here could be the reason, lest any root of bitterness springing up. It's the idea that it's underground and then it comes up in areas. How many of you sometimes you can be going about your life and all of a sudden this anger just and you're sitting there like, where did that come from? It's, all, it's because it's there. It never went away. It's there. It's just right under the surface. Springing up, causing trouble, relational, emotional, and physical health can be affected by this. And by many and by this, many become defiled. And literally, the whole idea of being defiled means they can't be used or they're not usable by God. And that's where we'll get our greatest satisfaction and fulfillment in life from, is to be used by God. And so we're cutting it off. Now, from the seat of hurt, I want to show you this video. And this is really... When you begin to look at the root of bitterness, go ahead and play that and let it play out. This, this is a seed that's basically germinating. It's, it's coming alive here. And, and the first thing you see is the root. 
That's bitterness. It's rooted. That's from the mind. And then you have the, the, you see it rooting itself. It's in deep places. It's still not seen. It's just there. Then the shoot begins to happen. And bitterness, it finds an avenue to vent itself. It always will. It's always lying under the surface, always waiting to vent itself. And that comes from the emotions. And then lastly, as a result, what in the world? Okay, is it doing again? Okay. <laughs> and then lastly, you have the fruit. The bitterness produces fruit. And as a result of that, what is the fruit? What does that look like? Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. Look, look what it says. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you. He's literally saying, don't let it stick to you. Don't let it root in you with all malice. That's the idea of an internal emotional uh, emotion that's stored up. And that's what many of us are carrying. So, how can hurt damage you from the emotions, anger, from the mind, bitterness, from the will, unforgiveness? You see, when we do not forgive, it is a sign of pride in our lives. To forgive, listen, let me, listen to this. To forgive, pride must be traded for grace. Let, let me tell you one thing I've seen in my life. Pride and grace cannot coexist. I can't have pride in something and extend grace from there and vice versa. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't happen that way. Some of you may be thinking, and here's, and I've been there myself. Some of you may be thinking, how is it that I'm the one doing the sinning and I'm the one that's been hurt? How many of you have ever thought of that? Yeah, and you're sitting there and you're just like, I'm the one been hurt. They sinned. Well, they probably did. But our reaction to it can cause us to sin. And you say, well, what is sin really? Is it I'm a terrible person? No, sin means you're not measuring up to what God desires. You're not meeting his standard. For some of us, sin also is not living in the reality that God provides for us. And that's freedom from the bondages of hurt. Pride says... And this is so true, and you can see it everywhere in society. Pride says, I want to live in the reality of my own making, not in the reality God has provided. You see it everywhere in our world right now. I'm going to say it again. Pride says, I want to live in the reality of my own making and not in the reality God has provided. Ephesians chapter 4, look at verse 32. How, how do we move towards this idea of forgiveness and be kind to one another? Here's, here's how we get there. Tenderhearted, that means compassionate, forgiving one another. And then it's almost like he, oh man, it's almost like he, he, he gets us with this one. Even as God in Christ forgave you. It's almost like, ugh. Can't defend that, can you? That's what you find. Quickly, look on your outline. Here, let me just, this is why forgiveness is so difficult. Look on your outline. Forgiveness is always a choice. You're going to choose one way or the other you're going to forgive or not. Forgiveness addresses the hurt you tend to avoid. We avoid those things that we don't want to deal with. And then forgiveness involves a cost to restore the relationship. 
And there's a cost associated with it. Now, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that the person who perpetuates that hurt over and over and over again, that you attempt to re-enter into that relationship uh, and, and, and put yourself in an abusive situation. I'm not talking about that. That's not what we're talking about here. Sometimes a relationship takes on a different meaning. But it's still, you got to release the hurt. You got to release the hurt. So, this is not on your outline. How can I forgive when I cannot forgive? This is not on there, but I feel like I needed to bring it up. Realize forgiveness is supernatural. How many of you agree with that? It is supernatural. It's not natural. I read somewhere this week where um, this man, a drunk driver hit, hit the vehicle. His wife and children were in, killing all of them. And this man is sitting in the courtroom, and, and, and as a, the trial comes to an end, he stands to his feet and tells the person that he forgives them. How do you do that? Supernatural. It's not natural. Realize forgiveness is a process. It's not an act. It's a process. And I've been through some deep hurt myself. Many of you have. I've talked to you. It's not something you just turn off. It's a process. And I've been through the process. Realize forgiveness is a command. It's not a suggestion. It's for you. Realize unforgiveness is based on a lie. It's not truth. Some of you feel like, if I can hold on to this hurt, then, then, then that, that will hurt the other person. No, it won't. It's hurting you. You've lived long enough in it to know better. And then, look on your outline. What are the reasons you may not address your hurt? Number one, we've already said it, pride. You don't think you need help with it. I got this. Number two, pretense. You pretend that the hurt is not there. I've been there. I have, I have crammed hurt so deep in my soul before that I didn't even know it was there anymore until I was told I needed counseling. <laughs> and I went, and guess where we had to go? We had to unpack it all. We had to get to the root. And that was not an easy process. Panic. Your hurt produces fear that leads to anxiety. There's some of you that, that all you got to do is hear the name of the person mentioned and it produces anxiety in your heart. Someone just to mention it. How about this? Perks. You like the attention of being the victim. Some of you are sitting there saying, ouch. Can I tell you something those closest to you will never tell you? Many times those of us around you are getting very weary of your victim, the idea of you playing the victim. You say, man, that's the most insensitive thing I've ever heard. I'm sorry, I'm just telling you the truth. And I'm also telling you, again, you're not living in the, in the reality that God has provided for you, that Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted. <clears throat> How should you confront your hurt? Acknowledge the hurt you have towards God for allowing it. You may say, well, I never blamed God. Well, if you believe God is who he is and what he's, how, he's, how he's put in the Bible and he's sovereign, he's providential, I'm here to tell you, he allowed it into your life. Oh, now you've given me a reason to blame God. He didn't cause it necessarily. 
But I think he wants to do something through it. Number two, recognize that your bitterness and unforgiving spirit is just plain wrong. Here's what you need to do. Carefully look through your hurt. This is tough. To see if you had any part in it. Let, let, me, tell you, let me tell you one thing, and I'll shut up about this. One way that I knew that I was dealing with my hurt in a more healthy way was I got to a point where I was looking at where I may have added and contributed to my own hurt. What I may have done to that person that brought that reaction, that did that. That I didn't look close enough to see what their background was before that to understand that what they were doing, maybe they were operating out of severe insecurity. Maybe there's some things that they had not dealt with in their own life that, that's playing in their life, and then it corrupted your life, and it goes on and on. And Look deeply. Next, accept that the charges you have must be dropped. Mm. Realize all your judgments must be canceled. How do you know if you've handled your hurt correctly? Anger will turn to a gentle spirit. You say, man, you, you, you really believe that? I'm living it. I'm living it. Bitterness will turn to a grateful heart. You see, when you're bitter, nothing will satisfy you. Nothing will satisfy you. You won't be grateful for anything. But boy, when it's gone, mm, compassion will replace a grieving resentment. I've been there too. Deception will be enlightened by godly truth. Mm. Deception. The enemy's good at it. And then enslavement will give way to glorious freedom. Glorious freedom. So some of you, this Christmas, are going to be around family. And there's a good chance some of those people have hurt you deeply. What are you going to do with it? Well, I want you to just bow your heads and close your eyes, if you will. Here's how we deal with it. First of all, identify the person. Who has hurt you? How does it make you feel? Identify the pain. Identify that that, that you're feeling right now. What is your natural inclination? The Bible says it will be revenge, anger, that may implode or explode. But replace that lie with the truth that God has so much more for you than you being in the bondage of this hurt. And then we get to the next one. What does God's word say about it? Identify that truth. And then maybe this is a prayer you need to pray. I don't want to lead you through it. You just reflect on it right there in your, in your seat. Dear Lord, I forgive Name the person. Four, name the offense. Because you freely have forgiven me and have commanded me to forgive others. Lord, I ask you to replace my pride with your grace. I confess and repent of my attitude and spirit of unforgiveness. I do not excuse this person's offense in any way, nor do I use any excuse for not extending forgiveness. I drop all charges and judgments against this person 
releasing me from the bondage of anger and bitterness. Thank you, Lord, for enabling me to forgive. Father, I pray for everyone in this room, Father, Lord, that we would look deeply within ourselves, Lord. Lord, if the statistics hold up, maybe as many as 40% of the people sitting in this room are dealing with the nature of what we're talking about here today. And Father, I just pray that you'll bring freedom to their hearts, freedom to their minds, freedom to their souls, Father, in such a way that they see that you are doing something, you're doing a great work in their life, where they can say the Lord is close at hand because they see you working in and through their pain. And the Bible says, and they will be living in the reality of what Jesus came for, to heal the brokenhearted and bring those out of bondage into freedom. I pray, Lord, as we leave this room today that you will anchor these thoughts in our hearts, Lord, in such a way that we cannot get to the point where we get to the point we have to deal with this in our life. In Jesus' name, amen.